Thank you, worship team, and happy Mother's Day to all our mothers, or soon-to-be mothers, new mothers, motherly women. You know, you could make the contention, you could make the argument that American Christianity owes a debt of gratitude to strong women. Three of the three of the men who shaped American religion the most were all shaped by strong women. George Whitfield, the uh, evangelist, largely uh, credited with uh, the the Great Awakening, was raised by a single mom who 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 ran uh, the local inn in England. A lot of scholars have said that John Wesley got his idea for holy clubs from his mom who ran what would probably be an ancient version of small groups in their home. And Jonathan Edwards was, had ten siblings and they were all women. Um, said he was essentially raised by ten sisters. Um, and I just find that remarkable um, that our country's uh, spiritual forefathers were all shaped by women. Um, so, happy Mother's Day. Mothers have played a profound role in my life, uh, in Kelly's life. And if any church should be thankful for moms, it's us, because, my goodness, we're like the most fertile church in Oxford. I think we've been reminded of that the last uh, two years. So, uh, God has given mothers, not fathers, but mothers, the honor of delivering children into the world Uh, And what a privilege that is. The Bible consistently recognizes maternal love, motherly love, as something that is not only good, but it's godly. And something that we should all actually aspire to, both men and women. Both Jesus Christ and the Apostle Paul, on occasion when they were trying to describe their love For the church and for the lost, they described it in terms of maternal love. This is actually what Jesus Christ says when He's weeping over Jerusalem. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings? Yet you were not willing. The Apostle Paul, look how he describes the church at Thessalonica. But we were gentle among you like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. If our eyes are fixed on the gospel, we should embody some measure of maternal love. Men included. To men, does your definition of manhood match up with nursing mothers and hens? In some way. Jesus and Paul's did. If you think that does, if you think your manliness is not is too manly for nursing mothers and hens, then perhaps you're pulling your definition of manhood from the world and not from God's word. Now, men don't walk around like hens, and you don't need to nurse kids. But there's a love there that we should all practice as Christians. And so I wanted to to wish a happy Mother's Day to our mothers, not just for birthing, but also for being an example to the church. Before we start this morning, I want to do something we always do every morning, which is what? I want to articulate the gospel. 
Before we go any further, let's get first things first. What is the gospel? When I say the gospel, what do I mean? Here it is. Our work and our obedience in this life can do nothing to earn our salvation. Christ's finished work completely earns our salvation. And our obedience is the fruit of our faith in what Jesus has accomplished. Don't miss that, please. That's the most important thing I think I'm going to say this morning. I'm going to repeat it. Our work and our obedience in this life can do nothing to earn our salvation. Christ's finished work completely earns our salvation and our obedience is but the fruit of our faith in what Jesus has accomplished. That is the good news, church. You are not saved in this life unless you believe that. Most important thing you'll hear in your life. So if you actually have a Bible with you, I'd invite you to turn to John chapter 19. John chapter 19, verses 17 through 30. Or you can follow along and we printed it out on slideshow. I don't know why, I'm, just to tell you, I'm kind of self-conscious about this. I don't pick that background, okay? It's, it's so mundane. It's white and it's gray. It's green when I go to PowerPoint and it comes out white and gray here. I don't know why, don't judge me. It, bo- it bothers me. It's like, it's just bleak and I don't like it. Um, anyway, if you would stand for the reading of God's word and John writes, so they took Jesus and he went out bearing his own cross to the place called the place of the skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. There they crucified him and with two others, one on either side and Jesus between them. Pilate also wrote an inscription and put it on the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Many of the Jews read this inscription, for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city, and it was written in Aramaic, in Latin, and in Greek. So the chief priests of the Jews said to Pilate, Do not write the King of the Jews, but rather the man said, I am King of the Jews. Pilate answered, What I have written, I have written. When the soldiers had crucified Jesus, they took his garments and divided them into four parts, one part for each soldier, also his tunic. But the tunic was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. So they said to one another, let us not tear it, but cast lots for it to see whose it shall be. This was to fulfill the scripture which says, they divided my garments among them and for my clothing they cast lots. So the soldiers did these things, but standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother and his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Clopas and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her to his own home. After this, Jesus, knowing all that was now finished, said to fulfill the scripture, I thirst. A jar full of sour wine stood there, so they put a sponge full of the sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Let's pray. What precious red letters. It is finished. It's all done. Jesus accomplished the work that you gave him, Father. It's not a work that we could perform. It's not a work that anyone was up to the task to do but the God-man, Jesus Christ, doing what none of us would do, doing what none of us could do. Father, we are here because Jesus breathed His last and said, it's done.
Father, this morning, show us what wonderful news it is that Jesus did every last deed you gave Him to do. And all these things we ask in Your precious Son's name. Amen. You may be seated. Just to kind of tell you all, I was kind of nervous this morning, because or this week I was preparing the sermon. I was like, should I write a, a Mother's Day sermon? I thought, you know, maybe something on mothers. You know, do I pick a text with moms in it? I was really wanting to stay in John because we're, I mean, we're right up to the crucifixion. I can't abandon it now. I don't want to stop the momentum. And then I was, I was reading and all of a sudden a light came from heaven and I saw Jesus say, Behold, woman, your son, behold your mother. There you go. That's your Mother's Day sermon right there. That's called Two Birds, One Stone. Expository preaching takes care of everything. Our summary this morning is as follows. At the cross, Jesus Christ finished the work the Father gave Him. Nothing can add to that work and nothing can take away from it. That's what I'm trying to say this morning. King of the Jews written on a plaque. Sour wine. Dividing up His clothes and His tunic. Jesus Christ is a dying man being humiliated. And that's exactly what crucifixion was about. If they just wanted to punish people, they could have done it like we do it today, behind doors. No, the cross was meant to shame someone. It was the epitome of public humiliation. And and after it all, Jesus is hanging on the cross and He utters, It is finished. In Greek, that word is tetelestai. It is finished. It is completed. I don't think it's an exaggeration to say it is absolutely critical to understand what Jesus means here. And I would so go as far as to say this. If, many, if more professing Christians understood what Jesus meant when He said to Telestai, far less people would be thinking that their good works save them. Far less people would think that forgiveness is like a gas pump where you come back and you get more and you refuel and you go back out. Far less people would think that Jesus is just a moral example. Jesus says it's finished. So here's my question this morning. What did He finish? That's the question this morning we're going to answer. What did Jesus finish? What's He talking about here? Is He talking about His life? Because it was the end of his life. Is that what he's talking about? What was, he, what was he actually doing? We have to answer this question. If we don't answer that question, we have no idea what's happening at the cross. John Stott said this, There is then, it is safe to say, no Christianity without the cross. If the cross is not central to our religion, ours is not the religion of Jesus. So what does he mean? Well, if you've been reading the book of John, you know that there's actually a work that Jesus has been given by the Father to do. So what did Jesus actually finish? Well, let's look at John chapter 5, verse 36. For the works that the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I am doing bear witness about me that the Father has sent me. So Jesus finished the work that the Father gave Him to do. That's what He's talking about. It's finished. Father, the work that you gave me, the reason you came here and sent me, my mission, my task, it's finished. Mission accomplished is what Jesus is saying here. He accomplished it. He finished it. He executed it. The gospel was an assignment which Jesus accomplished in full. We will never see the cross rightly until we see it as a divine plan given by the Father, executed by the Son. 
The cross isn't simply our moral example where we look up at the cross and we go, man, Jesus was such a nice guy. The cross isn't simply something we go, oh, poor Jesus. The cross is first and foremost something that the Father sent the Son to do. Now, question number two. Okay, we get that. Um, What did he finish? He finished the work the Father gave him. Here's number two. What is the work? What did he finish? In John, multiple times, I'm coming here to do the work. Father, the work that you gave me. Here's my question. What work is Jesus talking about here? Well, I think we can go to John chapter 17. We've already read these. I have manifested, this is Jesus praying to the Father. I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you have given them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything you have given me is from you. That's the work that the Son had to complete. When the Father sent the Son to earth to become Jesus Christ, He said, I have a people I've chosen. I've called them out. I've elected them. Now go get them. Tell them the truth. Let them believe in the truth and go atone for their sins on the cross. In other words, be their prophet, speak the truth, be their priest, be their mediator, go on the cross, uh, reconcile me to them, and go be their king and rule over a new people. So when when Jesus is hanging on the cross and he says, it is finished, he says, Father, I have given them your word. I've manifested your power to them. I've called out your disciples. They believe in me. Therefore, they believe in you. I am done. I've died on the cross for their sins. I'm atoning for their guilt. Mission accomplished. And all of that in Tetelestai. And on the third day, guess who begins his work? Who begins, who begins working on the third day? The Holy Spirit. It's like WWF wrestling. I used to be into wrestling. It's like, you know, tag team. Be like, like Jesus, the sun gets done. He's like, Holy Spirit, get in there. I did my work. Now you go raise me from the dead. Go start your work. Start your church. I have accomplished it. I have finished it. I have toned for their sins. I've spoke them the truth. Now they need you to come back to life and to believe in it. So what does Jesus' finished work have to do with my life? We always talk about, I think Matt Chandler talks about a Monday afternoon or Tuesday, a Tuesday morning. Tuesday morning is like the most mundane day of the, of the week, I think. I'm right in the rut. On a Tuesday morning when you wake up, what does Tetelestai have to do with your life? Well, if I sin against my neighbor... If I sin against my wife, if I sin against my kids, if I sin against God in having selfish, jealous thoughts, all these things happen. What I'll do in my flesh is I'll try to settle my conscience and I'll go, whoa, man, I need to, I need to make up for that. I need to start being nice. I need to go and, and make things right with that person. I need to uh, be a better person tomorrow so that I can make up for the bad person I was today. That's what Abby's flesh does. But what the gospel says is, no, 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 you've already broken the law. You've already, you've already, um, you're, you're a rebel. You're a criminal. You can't make up for what you've done. You can't get out of the red on your own. You're so deep. Somebody's got to pay. And you've got to pay with death. And so what I really need to do, what the gospel does is whenever I sin, instead of thinking that I need to make up for it on my own, I confess my sin to the Lord. I go to my 
brother who I've, who I've harmed, and then I say, I need the gospel. I can't save myself. This sin that I've just committed, that's why Jesus went to the cross. And every time I sin, I have to go back to the finished work of Christ and go, oh, that's the reason you finished the work. That's the reason you said it's done. That's the job you executed. Because on the cross, he said, every guilt, every sin, every misgiving, every transgression, it's finished, Father. I am, I'm atoning for this people and it's all yours. Unless you believe that Jesus' work is finished, you will spend your entire life trying to add to it and trying to earn your own righteousness. Um, I don't often do this, but I just feel... I'm always careful when I talk about other denominations. I just can't... I just think it's one of the most harmful teachings in the church. I cannot get over the Catholic Church's doctrine of purgatory. That is, the, that, that is one of the biggest lies of our, of our generation. If you know a Catholic, don't bash them. Warn them! Purgatory sends people to hell because the entire idea of purgatory is predicated on it's not finished yet. you got to keep working it off. You know, Jesus did His part, but once you die, you got some time, to, you got some laps to run. The entire lie of purgatory is, is against the words, it is finished. And so what I, what I lament for my Catholic brothers and sisters, and I go, no, 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 no. You're missing it. There's no more laps to run. Jesus ran your laps. Jesus paid it all. There's the penalty to be paid. You don't earn it off in hell. Jesus went to hell for you. I'm sorry, I just, I have no... Purgatory should scare the hell out of you. Can I say that on the pulpit? Little H, maybe. I think it sends people to hell. The false gospel says... Jesus did a good thing, do your part. The real gospel says, Jesus did all of it, now believe in it. You have one life, one chance to trust in the finished work of Jesus. And I'm going to tell you all, every bone in your body, every ounce of flesh you have wants to tell you that it's not finished yet. I've still got to, I still got to do my part. I still got to do something. I've still got to get out of the red on my own. Well, Jesus Christ takes every sin you've ever committed or will commit, or He takes none of it. Now, some people go, oh, I mean, I get that. So what you're telling me is that Jesus took all of my sins. Well, then I, then I can just live how I want. I think that's the natural rebuttal there is, okay, well, Avi, if you're saying that Jesus died for every sin that I've ever committed or will ever commit, what motivation do I have to follow Jesus? That's a common question. In fact, I would dare say the reason people reject what I'm talking about this morning is they feel like it undercuts the entire motivation to live as Christians. I would say that's a gross misunderstanding of the grace and the work of Christ. In fact, I would say it's a misunderstanding of the role of the Holy Spirit. See, the Father comes and He says, these are my people. The Son comes and says, I'm wiping their sins clean. And the Holy Spirit comes and says, now they're going to follow you. 
We don't, we don't come after Jesus. We don't love Jesus. We don't follow Jesus to get something in return. We follow Jesus because He first loved us. The law says, do this and God will accept you. The gospel says, Jesus did this, therefore God accepts you. It's about what Jesus did, not what I do. But here's the thing. If you love me, you will what? You will obey my commands. That's how we differentiate. We, they have an entire world. A modern America is saying, hey, you want, you, you want to earn it? You earn it, then I'll give it to you. Jesus says, no, I'll finish the work. Now you'll follow me. Someone who thinks that we have, the only motivation we have to follow Jesus is to get something completely misunderstands how awesome grace is. I don't need a carrot dangle in front of me. I, what I have in front of me is the glory of the cross, and that is enough. John Stott, as usual, has fabulous quotes. The concept of substitution may be said then to lie at the very heart of both sin and salvation. For the essence of sin is man substituting himself for God, while the essence of salvation is God substituting himself for man. Man asserts himself against God and puts himself where only God deserves to be. God sacrifices himself for man and puts himself where only man deserves to be. Man, that's a tweet right there. That's just such a good quote. I'm going to read it again. I'm just kidding. I won't do that. The job of every mother and father in here, that includes me, The job of every mother and father is not just to make sure our children know who Jesus is. It's to make sure they know what Jesus meant when Jesus said, It is finished. It is our job as parents to ensure that our children know that even on their very best of days, they can never add to the finished work of Christ. And on their very worst of days... Nothing they could ever do can take away from it. I came up with this. I thought it was clever, so I posted it. Pride is thinking that our works can be added to Christ's work. Despair is thinking that our sins can take away from Christ's work. I thought that was good. Maybe you didn't. Here's what faith is. Faith is trusting in the finished work of Christ. It's finished. I have, to fin- I have to believe that. Because if I don't believe that it's done, if I don't believe that what Jesus did paid it all, if, I, if what I believe in isn't that Christ's work is completely sufficient, then what I'm saying is, Jesus, I believe this about you, but I'll go ahead and walk the other mile. When the gospel itself says, no, 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 Abby, you're misunderstanding it. I walked the mile and then I walked another mile and another mile and another mile. I did it all. I lived the life you couldn't and I died the death you deserved. And now you just believe in me. It took me a long time to figure out how simple the gospel is. We can spend our whole lives trying to make up for the sins that we've committed. I mean, I'm telling y'all, let me just tell you, I, the pastor of this church, my sins that I've committed in this life that I continue to commit, y'all, without Jesus, I am so deep in the red, there ain't no way I could get out. 
I mean, and that's the thing. Without Jesus, I could do good things for people. I could love thy neighbor. I could buy things for people. And then, even then, I'd be compounding my guilt because I'd be doing it, try to earn grace instead of just receiving it. One of the scariest verses in the Bible is that which does not proceed from faith is sin. Let that raise your standard of righteousness. If we don't do things for, because of Jesus and our love for Jesus and our trust for Jesus, anything that proceeds other than that is sin. And that's why Jesus came. He took upon Himself the mountain of guilt that I have. And He paid it all. All I had to do was believe. If Jesus' work is not completely finished, we have no hope. Therefore, I want you all to listen to this. If I ever do a good thing for you, if I ever come over and wash your car, I don't know why I'd come over and wash your car, but maybe I would. Gene's like, I'm going to hold you to that. If I ever do a nice thing for you, if I ever tell you that I'm praying for you, which by the way, that's not lip service, I do. If I ever do a nice thing for you, you can go to the bank, you can bet your bottom dollar, you don't have to worry about me doing it for secret motives so that I can be good with Jesus. If I'm loving you, I'm not loving you and secretly in the back of my mind going, okay, good, I'm, 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 I'm storing up stuff for the kingdom now. No, 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 no. If I do a good thing for you, you can take it to the bank. I'm doing it for you because I'm doing it out of the work that Christ has done for me. I'm not trying to earn heaven. The gospel of Jesus Christ guards us from being selfish lovers of neighbor. If I do a good thing for you, I don't want anything in return because I've got all I need because Jesus says it's finished. This morning, if you're still trying to get right with God because of the things that you're doing, Jesus says it's finished. I might, you know, it's, I, I, I say a lot of exaggerated things here sometimes. It is finished, probably the best thing ever written in the Bible. Uh, that, that's pretty exaggerated. Maybe I've named There's a lot of good things in the Bible. But I'm telling y'all, if Jesus doesn't say it's finished, if the work is still open, you better believe I can't finish it. If you've been living your life trying to gain favor with God through the things that you've done, here's the good news. Jesus gained favor with God by the work that He's done. And He says, trust and believe in Me. If you've never believed that, I invite you to do so this morning. Let's pray. Father, it's done. It's complete. It's finished. It's accomplished. You gave Adam a task in the garden. And he could not finish it. But you gave Jesus a task. And he said, Daddy, it's finished. Thank God for the second Adam. Father, thank you so much that Jesus came and executed the mission. It's because of his love, it's because of your love for the world, that you gave us Jesus, that we might believe in Him and have everlasting life.
Thank you for the love you've shown us in a crucified Jesus. And I pray, Father, for your glory, save those who have not come to believe. And all these things we ask in your precious Son's name. Amen.